The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Do you wish for a more fulfilling, erotic, and sexual life? The journey begins here. This is The Sexual Voice with your host, Jessica Ford. As a relationship psychotherapist working with individuals and couples for decades, Jessica knows how to create and support meaningful relationships. Along with her guests, Jessica expands the lens of sex therapy, connecting you with a more satisfying and healthier sexual self. Now, here is Jessica Ford. Hello, I am Jessica Ford, and welcome to today's episode of The Sexual Voice. Our episode is Sex, Desire, and Intimacy Through the Life Cycle. And today, I'm going to experiment. A lot of you have asked to hear more client stories, and while sometimes that's a little hard to do, I think, from an ethical point of view, today I'm weaving a few stories together Uh, from several clients, but I think it will fit with today's topic. So I'm going to tell you a story of a woman who came, and it's basically her sexual narrative. And our guest today is going to be providing comments because he is a sex therapist, and he's going to be sharing those perspectives with us as we go through her story. The client that came was in her early 70s, and she comes into the office asking, is there a difference between love and sex? Basically, is this the way it's going to be? Is this what is going to be the rest of my life? She's struggling with her sexual desire for her husband. He pursues her for sex, but he is not emotionally present when they do have sex. It's mechanical, she reports. She can feel arousal when she self-pleasures, just not with her husband, although she does say she loves him. They've been together for about 18 years. She reports they sleep in separate bedrooms. There is limited intimacy or physical intimacy. They rarely even talk, kiss, or touch. She is interested in feeling more physically connected, but feels hurt by him emotionally. So this is really an honor because we have a therapist here. And if anyone can move this woman forward, it would be Barry McCarthy. He has his PhD in psychology. He is a workshop presenter. He travels all over the country presenting on sex therapy and sexual issues. He's an author. He's the professor of psychology at American University. He's the recipient of the Masters in Johnson Award for lifetime contributions to the field of sex therapy. Certified marriage and sex therapist. 
he has authored over 106 professional articles. Matter of fact, in my on, on my bookshelf and files, I have more of his work than anyone else. 26 book chapters and 14 books, including Rekindling Desire, Discovering Your Couple Sexual Style, and Enduring Desire. So to say Barry McCarthy's work spans the life cycle is an understatement, but there is no one more knowledgeable and qualified to discuss this today than he is. So, welcome, Barry McCarthy. Well, very glad to be here. <laughs> and uh, he shared with me it's a, a, a drizzly, rainy day, thanks to a, a little bit of a hurricane uh, moving up his way, up the coast, the Atlantic coast. Um, so, I really want to thank you for taking the time from, from your schedule. I know how the other interesting piece is Barry was the first person I contacted when I knew I was going to be doing this show. I, we talked in April about being on the show, and uh, so it's, it's taken us a few months to get here, but uh, I do appreciate it, and I know I have to book you early to, just to have you. So to get us started... Um, some of you may wonder, what is this life cycle? What am I talking about? And what is the human life cycle? So just very briefly, it's basically from early childhood, which is birth to about the age of 12, adolescence, which is about 12 to 20, young adulthood, which is roughly 20 to 30, middle adulthood, 30 to 50, and then later adulthood, 50 up. So, Barry, would you like to add anything to, to that piece? Well, a couple of thoughts uh, in terms of both generally in this case. You know, the good news sexually is that there's good science that says you can be sexual in your 60s, 70s, and 80s. So our client has at least another 15 or 20 years to look forward to in terms of touch and sexuality. And then her basic question about... Is love and sex, are they different phenomenon? Absolutely a different phenomenon. Ideally, people are able to integrate loving, intimate feelings with erotic sexual feelings. That's the, that's the healthiest kind of sexuality that integrates both intimacy and eroticism. Okay. And is there anything about the life cycle that you think that the listeners um, might be... Well, the thing that I'd like the listeners to most uh, be aware of is that although in your 70s, um, sexuality often is less frequent and less functional, it is more satisfying. So couples who stay sexual in their 60s, 70s, and 80s report higher satisfaction with touching and sexuality than couples in their 30s and 40s. So it's kind of, it's an optimistic, positive approach. Okay, good. So as we begin, from the perspective of a sex therapist, if, as I said, this person came and sat in my office, and I always begin with an assessment, getting some history. So we're going to begin her story, her narrative at the beginning with her childhood and her adolescence. So in talking with her, uh, she was um, became sexually active at about 15 
And she reported that certainly was not any sexual trauma in her history. And her first sexual experience was more based on curiosity. Um, there was, it was not passion-driven. She was with this young man for many years, and, but she said there was never a lot of passion with that. And it was just more uh, functional. And she also said that uh, she did not have an orgasm until much later in her life. Matter of fact, she was in her late 20s, she said, before she ever found it to be enjoyable. Um, her early childhood had some aspects of some trauma with uh, growing up in a home of alcoholism and some domestic violence, which uh, she said she, she stuck, you know, really struggled with and trying to understand. And matter of fact, uh, she had gotten married very young, and part of that reason was uh, to get out of the house because it was so unpleasant. So... As she, going into her adolescence, uh, she certainly was uh, dating and she engaged with people, but she never felt really comfortable. She felt like uh, she was always an outsider. She never felt connected. And uh, so, and some of this may have been the May, may have been attributed to what she was experiencing as a child uh, in, in a kind of troubled household. So from that experience, Barry, those early years, what do you think stands out for you? Uh, well, two things. Um, I think the first is in an ideal situation in terms of dealing with her as an adult in her 70s. Mm-hmm. Ideally, you would not only see her, you would see her present husband. Because ultimately, sex is best understood as a couple issue, and getting the man involved uh, from the beginning is really, really helpful. But let me go back to your question about her sexual development. You know, for her generation, her sexual development seems very much in the normal range. Um, curiosity is what often drives sexuality. Um, and again, Although orgasm is an integral part of healthy female sexuality, it's not unusual for women to learn to be orgasmic later than males. And part of that is a difference in masturbation. Most men learn to be orgasmic with masturbation. Uh, Of her generation, uh, and this has changed with people now, but in her generation, uh, learning to be orgasmic was later with couple sex. Um, the fact that she came from an alcoholic, domestic uh, violence background is a vulnerability. And uh, one of the things she needs to be able to do as an adult is to own those learnings without feeling ashamed or responsible for it. Um, and again, my guess would be the early marriage uh, was probably um, part of her sexual socialization Women married much earlier uh, in her generation than they do now. Um, it's often a marriage caused by negative factors, either pregnancy or wanting to get away from home. And it's not surprising that those first marriages uh, do not meet needs for satisfaction and security the way ideally they would. Well, the other th- point to add is the messages she got around her sexuality. 
um, very contradictory. On one hand, mm-hmm. she had a father who would at times be inebriated and would love to discuss sex with her and engage in very explicit kinds of sexual discussions, but more from the perspective of not to, how not to get pregnant and the things not to do. And then from the mother, it was, you never touch yourself. You really don't talk about sex. And um, when she was 17, she said she asked her mother about oral sex, or um, as she phrased it, uh, this guy wants to eat me. And so she's, you know, her mother said, oh, my God, no, you know, that's only for old women who can't be satisfied. So it was a very challenging perspective of what could she learn and, you know, because she was curious, but, you know, right. who did she go Which to? Which is a healthy thing to be curious but, you know, again, ideally, sex education comes from the family, it comes from the school, it comes from the religion. In her generation, it didn't come from any of those sources. Coming from a uh, father when he's drinking is not a good model, and the mother taking an anti-sexual stance is not a good model. Ideally, people learn sex in a positive way from all three sources, but the world is not an ideal world, so there's a vulnerability. Uh, it doesn't mean it cannot change as an adult, including a 70-year-old adult, but it certainly is a vulnerability of not having a positive message that sexuality is a good thing in life, it's an integral part of who you are, whether you're 15, uh, 45, or 75. Absolutely. So... We're getting ready to take a break, and uh, then we're going, when we come back, again, we're talking with Dr. Barry McCarthy. When we come back, we're going to move this client into her young and middle adulthood. So stay with us and uh, hear more about this woman's story. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. You are listening to The Sexual Voice with Jessica Ford. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to The Sexual Voice at jafordgroup.com. 
Now, back to The Sexual Voice. Welcome back. And we have Dr. Barry McCarthy with us. Um, And we're talking about a client. It's kind of a composite of some clients. But basically, it's... uh, if anyone hears this and thinks, oh, gee, that's me, the reality is it's many people, and uh, you're not alone if you have experienced some of the things we're going to be talking about. So we have gone through the early stages of this woman's life, uh, childhood, adolescence, into young adulthood. Uh, she is now roughly in her early 20s, married, and she's now had a child, Um, her relationship is struggling with her partner or husband at that time. And again, he was a good person. Uh, She turned to her family because she was struggling and and asked the question um, of what to do. And again, she went to her mother who said, uh, you know, happiness isn't everything. And the young woman said, but I'm not happy, you know, and the mother said, that's right, you know, happiness isn't everything. And the young woman said, but I don't love him either. And the mother's response was, well, love isn't everything. And the young woman said, well, if happiness and love are not there, then what else is there? And the woman reminded her security was there. So for her mother, security meant everything. But for this young woman who was very courageous and brave and stepping forward into moving into a divorce, uh, she was looking at her own independence and to find happiness or find love. So she has a child. She's moving into her 20s. And she has to find a place for herself in terms of emotionally and she does explore many relationships, and basically they all seem problematic. Um, it was a thing that she kind of was a theme that she mentioned off and on, this contrast between love and sex. Um, sex at that point in, in history in the 70s was pretty, everyone was exploring it, everyone was engaging it. There was a lot of liberation. So it was uh, it was fun, but yet she was still working out this idea of wanting to be loved. She was divorced, and then she went into another relationship, another marriage in her early 30s, and had another child. And in that particular case, she was with someone who really struggled with rapid ejaculation. And... Basically, that would represent the whole sum of their sex is there would be very rapid sex and sometimes even rapid ejaculation prior to even penetration. And that would end whatever sexual experience they had. So throughout most of her late 20s and 30s was that experience. So turning to you, Barry, what comes up for you? What do you think? Well, when I'm, when I, what's consistent in her life and her development is there's not a message that sex is a positive thing gets, that gets integrated. One of the things that I say to my couples is that the ideal scenario is you have a satisfying, that's the first one, a secure marriage. And then third 
is where sex is playing that healthy 15 to 20% role of energizing your bond and allowing you to feel desire and desirable. Um, and that wasn't what she discovered in either of those marriages. And in terms of the premature ejaculation problem, you know, that's the most common male sexual issue that about 25%, one out of four men, uh, has problems with rapid ejaculation. And again, the ideal scenario is where they go together as a couple, learn ejaculatory control, and in learning that as a couple, it actually does reinforce the bond where sex is playing that healthy role, and they can feel uh, better about themselves, both as a couple and she as a sexual woman who knows her voice and knows and is being helpful in a relationship. Now, again, you can't undo the past. One of my favorite lines when I talk to people, whether those people are in their 30s or their 70s, is that you can learn from the past, and that's very important to learn from the past, but you don't get a makeover. You got a, your power to change is in the present and the future. And in both of those marriages, there's a clear sense of disappointment both in the man, the relationship, and in sex. No, and, um, and she, she often references uh, she felt she confused love with sex and that she would give sex um, in a way that would hopefully attract love. And uh, she saw herself and felt she was a very sexual person and very engaging. And she hungered for that. She enjoyed it when things went right, right? And mm-hmm. then she would also then take the responsibility when it didn't, that it was something about her. And uh, recently we had uh, Stanley Altoff on the show, and he was talking about the comment is sometimes when there's rapid ejaculation, the comment would be, she's too sexy. You know, it's your fault that this is happening, which is never really the right message for the woman. So blaming the woman rather than enlisting her as the intimate and sexual ally, which, again, that's something that people fall into. It's a really unhealthy trap, but people fall into it. I think the fact that she's a pro-sexual woman is a really good learning. I think the fact that um, she doesn't feel that she's been able to integrate intimacy and eroticism is a tough one. Um, I also think that the, the core issue with that second marriage is that sex ended when he ejaculated. And one of the things that you always do, or I try to always do, with couples dealing with premature ejaculation is be very clear to both the man and the woman that learning ejaculatory control is a team sport. It's going to take both of them. And you're not going to get perfect ejaculatory control because remember, the average length of intercourse is not 10, 20, 30 minutes as you read in the Internet. It's between three and seven minutes. But probably the crucial learning is the idea that sex is much more than intercourse and sex should not end on his rapid ejaculation. Can you expand some more? Because uh, I think one of the avenues that all, excuse me, that happens is that you hear after he ejaculates, he rolls over and goes to sleep. But um, 
<laughs> which ahead. is terribly unhealthy for, for not just the woman, it's also unhealthy for the man in the relationship. But they get people get into those patterns. And so rather than sex playing that good role, it's playing a demoralizing, destructive role. So again, when I, and I would, uh, ideally, in both uh, the first and second marriage, ideally you would see them as a couple, and you would encourage them to, to be able to be responsible for their own sexuality. And but ultimately, sex is a team sport, so you want them to do it together. And that in doing it together, you want them to honor pleasuring, eroticism, and satisfaction. And satisfaction certainly increase, includes orgasm for women, but it's not the core issue with satisfaction. So even though he's, his, her second husband is easily orgasmic, he's really not feeling satisfied because he's not feeling good about himself, he's not feeling bonded as a couple, and that's what you find with men with premature ejaculation. In, the women don't understand this, but usually the man feels badly about himself and embarrassed about his early ejaculation. Well, I think so that's an insight. I think that, that is important for your listeners. Well, you're right. I um, have worked with couples where this has been an issue, and right. like for them, sometimes that shame because or embarrassment, as you said, from rapid ejaculation, they feel they need to give up. And they give up in a way as to maybe considering open the door for an infidelity or a more open sexual experience with others. And because sometimes the men really do not fully understand that it is not about, you know, they think it's not about them. They might think it's more about the relationship that's creating this. Or it is about them some of the time, but not all of the time. So, and in that same way, for this woman, uh, her way of dealing with, shall we say, lack of sex or lack of enjoyable sex or pleasurable sex, uh, she went outside the marriage. And right. she was, yeah, and and that was ex- very exciting and really, you know, engaging. Obviously, just the mere, sh- you know, the mere uh, fact that it was an infidelity made it even more exciting. So, and she was able to find more sexual pleasure outside. But the tragedy is that ended that relationship. You know, it's a couple of things I think that are important for people to understand. You know. Affairs, or uh, there's a new term for affairs called EMAs. It's a much less loaded uh, term than infidelity. Are very common and involves 35 to 45 percent of married couples. And there's many reasons and many outcomes. Remember, the majority of couples survive affairs. But one of the most important things to understand sexually is that affair sex is always better than marital sex. Affair sex is like the romantic love, passion, sex, idealized phase multiplied by three. You can never compare affair sex and marital sex. What, in treating couples dealing with affairs, if, if they want to work on the marriage, is the, the theme is that they've got to develop a new couple sexual style that is healthier 
than their couple's sexual style before the affair. But you can never, when couples say, you know, our, our sex now, our marital sex is better than the affair sex, they're setting themselves up to fail because it's not going to be true. And you shouldn't lie to yourself and you shouldn't lie to your partner. No, I think for those that uh, I see in my office, um, that it is about changing course. It is about recognizing uh, that if they do decide to stay together and work on the relationship, it requires a complete change of direction. And there's almost, and people often want, we want to rebuild. And I defer that and I say, no, I think you need to consider building anew because rebuilding right. is applying what you've been doing and that didn't work. So, And it's also like uh, saying we're going to rebuild our trust bond. You don't rebuild the old trust bond. If you're going to stay together, you rebuild a new couple sexual style and you build a new trust bond that is healthier than the old trust bond. And one of the things in a new trust bond is that you talk about this healthy 15 to 20% role of sex. That it seems to me that in that second marriage, that is not what she experienced. It's not what he experienced. And it was, it was something that un- subverted the marriage rather than um, energized and bonded the marriage. That's so true. So it's time for another break. So please don't leave, Uh, stay listening, and we will be back with Dr. Barry McCarthy on this journey uh, of this woman's story. So please come back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. You are listening to The Sexual Voice with Jessica Ford. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to The Sexual Voice at jafordgroup.com. Now... Back to the sexual voice. Welcome back. Barry McCarthy and I have been talking about a client or a kind of a composite of clients um, that I've seen in my office over the years and telling her narrative, her story. 
the we're now up to the later adulthood. Uh, she her second marriage ended, and she's into her forties, early fifties, and we know that brings a lot of change for women and from menopause to just the empty nest and children leaving and so forth. Um, But she's struggling. She was, again, continued meeting people through a variety of uh, sources, dating, and then she met someone, and uh, she was quite hopeful. She was very engaged sexually with him, and thought that maybe this was someone that she could spend the rest of her life with. And over time, this is what she's been experiencing. Uh, He was very active sexually, and she enjoyed that. There was no clear sexual dysfunction for really either one of them. And, but... It appeared that what was happening was more an issue of sex was for him. And she used the word mechanical. That he had spent a lot of years uh, um, in a relationship where his partner uh, had never been able to have an orgasm. And so in some ways he was quite thrilled with her that she could have an orgasm. So that was exciting for him. But it was more about him and less about her. And his feeling was if they weren't having sex as much as he would like, uh, then she was disappointing him. And so she would strive not to disappoint him by engaging in sex. And at times when they would have sex, he wouldn't even look at her. It was more of an interest of what he was experiencing. And at this point in her life, she had certainly learned a lot. And so she tried to engage him in the earlier stages before intercourse. And again, this was very uh, penis-vagina oriented and kind of sex. And so the idea was so that she could maybe derive more pleasure um, that they would, you know, do things, a variety of things with uh, toys and uh, dildos or whatever uh, they could come up with that, that was pleasurable for her. But it was always, okay, enough about you. Let's take care of me was the kind of message that she received. And she was really, had, had struggled with this. She de- and then was realized she was losing her desire. She was struggling with maintaining a desire for him because it grew unfulfilling. And she considered, and matter of fact, did go and seek um, some medication, uh, testosterone and was given that so it would increase her libido. And she came right about that was the time she came to the office because the testosterone was no longer working, she felt. And she was wondering, could there be more? And as you said, very early on, you know, the idea of having them both come to the office was what was suggested, that it would be of benefit for both of them to be there. And she rejected that idea because she said, I never can talk to him about sex. The minute that I bring it up, he takes it personal. And it's like I'm attacking him. So she says, I have to come by myself to see what I can do. 
So that's kind of where she's at. Um, She says she's been seeking love her whole life, but kept giving away sex with the hope of receiving the love she needed. It's a pretty powerful statement. No, it is a very powerful statement. Um, And you know, this is, and we've been talking about how uh, in mainstream her story is, but now in her 70s, her story is quite different. It's not in the mainstream anymore. Because remember, between 60 and 65, one out of three couples stop being sexual. And between 70 and 75, it becomes two out of three. And it's the man who almost always decides to stop being sexual because he's lost his confidence with erections, intercourse, and orgasm. And so he says, I don't want to start something I can't finish. And he turns away from the woman. So um, the fact that they're... I see that often with clients, yes. But but that's not true of this client. Uh, But it is important... Um, for her to understand that, uh, in a way, they as a couple are beating the odds in terms of being sexual. Now, the theme that I would have, is I would have you continue to see the, your, your, her individually. But what I would insist on as her individual therapist is that she sees a colleague who you like and trust and can work with as a couple and that he gets invited in to the first session. Because if he's invited into the first session, rather than him being re- um, rejected or feeling he's the bad guy, um, he's being treated as a first-class citizen from the beginning. And that you, the therapist would, would uh, reinforce for both of them that they've beaten the odds and they're still sexual, and that's a good thing. But the therapist would also reinforce that this idea that sex is an intimate team sport and we need to talk about desire, pleasure, eroticism, including orgasm and satisfaction. And this, the thing that's so interesting about your client is of those dimensions, uh, she's best at orgasm. She's uh, less comfortable with this idea of desire, pleasuring, and satisfaction. And that this is the time in her life and in his life and their life as a couple to try to put it all together, to see if, if they can really put it together and integrate intimacy and eroticism into that same relationship. And, um, and for that to happen, rather than her pleasing her partner or trying to use testosterone as a standalone intervention, because... Testosterone as a standalone intervention never works for men or for women. You've got to integrate the medication into the couple's sexual style. And in her 70 years, she's not been very good at integrating, but this is a real opportunity to do it. You know, I love working with older couples. I truly do. And, it's, and the reason for that is that sex becomes more genuine and more human with aging. And then part of that is they know that they need each other, both in terms of sharing pleasure as well as sharing eroticism. And that's the challenge. And what men like about that approach is the idea that he's a wise man rather than a traditional man, 
and they love the idea of beating the odds. And what women like about that approach is this idea that for sex to really be satisfying for her, finally in her 70s, she wants to feel genuinely valued and needed as a intimate woman and a sexual woman. You know, so many people look at their partner and they see themselves as intimate allies but not erotic allies. Your, your story is of a client who is better at eroticism than she is as intimacy, and that's unusual. But whether it's the man or the woman, the real challenge for couples and the real challenge for desire is where you turn towards your partner as both your intimate ally and your erotic ally. I think so I think it would be incredibly challenging and fun. Well, I think so too, and I think this idea of intimacy is really is really the issue because that is what she feels so disconnected. You know, throughout her narrative, uh, she's described this disconnect from intimacy. What she then gets very excited and thrilled about at the beginning of new relationships is that there is an intimacy. Though this person will get me, this person will know me. So this idea of what happens in new relationships. I'm a big fan of Limerick's face, whether you're talking about young adults or you're talking about people in their 60s. Is this idea of a romantic love, passion, sex, idealized relationship is really fun. And it's very, very fragile. It usually lasts somewhere between six months and a year. You've got to see if you can put it together, and this is your opportunity to put it together. And, that's the, and it's a couple challenge, not just a challenge for her. So her rejecting him coming in together is uh, not a good uh, decision on her part. Well, I think ha- having explored some of this with her, I think the the point was that he felt it was a waste of time. Number one, she didn't feel comfortable talking with him, as I said earlier, because he always took it as a criticism or, you know, it wasn't really his problem. But also, I think her attempt to try to engage him in therapy was pretty... And, and this, I hear with some frequency as well. He doesn't want well, to come. Well, it's true. I mean, there's many more women in, in, in therapy than men, and there's much more individual therapy than couple therapy. But what the science says, both the empirical science and the clinical science, is that you're going to get so much more change if you work together as a couple, and you're also going to be able to maintain those changes rather than relapsing. I mean, her story from 15 up until her early 70s is the story that she hasn't been able in, in these three marriages to integrate intimacy and eroticism. But now, this is the time to do it. Any suggestions on then for a listener who may be struggling with integrating eroticism and intimacy? Well, and the big issue is that both the woman and the man have a right to intimacy, and both the woman and the man have a right to eroticism. That this traditional split that women are about intimacy or love, men are about sex or eroticism, that's the core mistake that poisons sexuality in relationships. Mm-hmm. The more you understand it as adults, 
there are many more similarities and differences emotionally and sexually between men and women. You don't want to keep fighting that same fight that she learned as a child or as a 15-year-old adolescent, that men and women are always in competition, they're always fighting. That's a good this point. This is her time to do that, to, and to turn toward the partner as your friend, not somebody who frustrates and alienates you. Mm-hmm. It's that time again, Barry. Time for a break. So we will be right back. We're with Barry McCarthy, and uh, we'll be wrapping up with him when we come back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are listening to The Sexual Voice with Jessica Ford. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to The Sexual Voice at jafordgroup.com. Now, back to The Sexual Voice. We have Barry McCarthy on with us, and I'm... As we wrap up, is there something that you can say that you would like to share with the listeners that you want them to take away from our show today? Well, let me say something ideally and then something more practically. In an ideal world, people would learn as children and adolescents that sex is a good thing in life, not a bad thing that your sexuality is an integral part of who you are as a male or as a female, and that the question is always the same question. Is sex playing that healthy 15 to 20% role in your life and relationship? It's certainly not the most important thing in life or in a relationship, but it's a positive integral part, or is it playing a destructive role? And that, then we get to the nitty-gritty. For many people, over 50%... Of, of couples and even a greater number of people in non-relationships, sex is playing a negative role. This idea that we're doing so much better sexually than we did in 1970 is not true. That it's different kind of sexual problems, but they're very real problems. And that uh, f- for real life people, the biggest thing that I would like them to think about is that approaching this as a couple with somebody who is trained and interested in dealing with sex issues as part of any treatment. It it includes 
uh, dealing with sex problems, when you're dealing, talking about alcohol, depression, uh, trauma, anxiety, recovering from unfair, that sex is an integral part of any treatment program, including recovering from illness and disability. That you deserve for sex to have that 15 to 20% role in your life, no matter what your background is and what your vulnerabilities are. So you want to hear a really positive permission-giving approach to sex and sexuality. And one other thing I really want to make a point about, about the most important part of sex is not arousal and orgasm. The most important part of sex is that sense of positive desire that you can anticipate being sexual, that sex is more than intercourse and orgasm, that the essence of healthy sexuality is giving and receiving pleasure-oriented touching. I think that is the core issue. And that certainly uh, is a message that we keep trying to provide on the show, The Sexual Voice, because it is about having the ability to, to, to talk about that and to engage in that in a kind of safe and secure way. Um, that you feel, and you mentioned several times vulnerability, um, that it's good to be vulnerable at times and to speak, but we need to know what we're saying and sometimes how we're saying it. We need that kind right. of presence of awareness uh, to, to engage. So you know, The other thing I think that's interesting about couples is that you know it's a healthy relationship when being in that relationship brings out something healthy in you. And that you feel loved and respected, not just for your strengths, but also for your vulnerabilities. Mm, a nice way to end, Barry. Um, Good. All of Barry's books that were mentioned today are available on Amazon. Well worth the read. Uh, he, as I said, does workshops all over the country, and sometimes they're more geared to professionals, but... Uh, sometimes uh, they're open to the public, and so it's always a good idea to kind of keep your eyes out and listen to that possibility of attending one of his workshops. I think he even travels to Canada. Uh, do you do any inter international work? Because this show is being heard in 140 countries. Huh. You know, one of the things that I like them to do the most in the world is do workshops overseas because it, it challenges you to understand the different roles and meanings in different cultures. So I've done workshops in uh, India. I just did one in May, a two-day workshop for professionals in Norway. Um, uh, and absolute, and uh, Singapore, I absolutely uh, value um those um, international workshops. Oh, it does have the, the kind of the, the cultural perspectives. Well, Absolutely. thank you so much for all of your time, and I'm sure I'll see you again at some point, but uh, I so appreciate and value what you have to say, Barry. Thank you. Thank you. So as we move to close, um, and as you've heard, sex spans our life, and... You've heard this many times on all of the previous episodes, and it requires an ongoing presence and an effort to be open to how we change, and because those changes are inevitable. It's more than penis and vagina sex. We must consider the word sex 
in multiple ways, emotional, sensory, mental, spiritual, and at times, yes, physical. The World Health Organization reports that a number of people today age 60 has doubled since 1980. People that are 80 years old will almost quadruple to 395 million between now and 2050. And research has demonstrated that older adults do remain quite interested in sex well beyond the age of 70 and 80. And speaking of the World Health Organization, this Sunday, September 4th, is World Sexual Health Day. And it's celebrated in 35 countries around the world. And this day is dedicated to promoting healthy sexual activities of, so what does it mean to say sexual health? Sexual health is a state of physical, emotional, mental, and social well-being in relation to sexuality. It is not merely the absence of disease, dysfunction, or infirmity. Sexual health requires a positive and respectful approach to sexuality and sexual relationships, as well as the possibility of having pleasurable and safe sexual experiences, free of coercion, discrimination, and violence. For sexual health to be obtained and maintain the sexual rights of all persons must be respected, protected, and fulfilled. And that was from the World Health Organization in 2008. So please join me next week. Another great episode. Can we outrun genetic hardwiring, sex, and technology? I'm going to say this topic is a bit anthropological because I do have a little culture anthropology roots that kind of pop up. And we are looking at this whole idea of how we are genetically hardwired to connect via our sensory perspectives, sight, smell, touch, sound, and taste. And while technology encompasses some of them, as I've heard, scratch and sniff is not on the internet. And I'm asking, basically, with technology, we do have sight and sound, but are we limiting the full human experience? So please listen in, and we have two extraordinary guests that will be talking with me next Friday. So I'm going to leave you with more Rumi. You know what happens when we touch. You laugh like the sun coming up. Laughs at a star that disappears into it. Love opens my chest and thought returns to its confines. So you're encouraged as always to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Goodbye for now and thank you for listening. Remember healthy sex begins with you. Please join me next Friday, and we'll continue to explore and talk some more. Thank you for joining Jessica and her guests today on The Sexual Voice. Please tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy your sexual self, and please join us here next Friday.